Hi, everyone, and welcome to this new podcast. And the theme of this podcast is going to be about how to use AI or artificial intelligence in your business. And with me today is Pavo Rotala. And Pavo is Professor of Strategy and Innovation at the Business School at LUT University in Finland. He researches networks, ecosystems, and platforms, and also the role of digital and digital technologies in organizations, as well as business model innovation and the circular regenerative economy. More recently, he's been studying how new generative AI technologies change knowledge, work, change organizing, and enable business model innovation. So his research has been published in among the very best and most rigorous scholarly journals in our field, including the Journal of Management, Research Policy, Journal of Product Innovation Management, R&D Management, and California Management Review. He is closely involved with business practice through research projects, executive and professional education programs, and a speaker, and especially recently on artificial intelligence. And Professor Ritala is also co-editor-in-chief of the renowned innovation journal R&D Management. So welcome, Pavo. Thanks for joining me. Thanks, Matt. It's it's great to be featured in your podcast. I'm I'm a huge fan of the podcast. <laughs> Thanks so much. I appreciate it. It's also, I think, the second time that I that I get the pleasure of hosting you, which is uh, that's true. Is... Great to be great to be back. Thank you. Thank you. So maybe we can move straight on with a short recap. So, what is the history of artificial intelligence, and why is everyone so excited about it right now? Yeah, thanks for the question. And of course, you know, it'll it'll take me like uh, eight hours to go through the <laughs> history of AI. But let's let's do in like uh, two minutes uh, maximum. So uh, it was fifty six the year when when AI got born as a, as a scientific field, and it was a kind of multidisciplinary conference hosted in Dartmouth, mm. and there were there were academics across all sciences, and and they came up with many cool ideas. There were economists and philosophers physicists and and the original definition of ai is that ai would be a system that mimics human intelligence that's why the name artificial intelligence mm. and then the fascinating history of ai is that is the four seasons it's the cycle so we have ai winters we have ai spring and summer ai fall so ai comes into fashion ai goes into fashion goes out of fashion mm-hmm. it's it's important to understand that and, and why is that so? It's because uh, AI is actually a, a bundle of different technologies. So what AI used to be in the beginning is, is not actually the same AI that we have now. So that also explains that, okay, why does it go out of fashion? Why does it come in fa- come back to fashion? Now, I think we are living uh, AI spring, you know, there is more and more, uh, there are more flowers blooming, mm-hmm. you know, there are more, you know, vibrant, blossoming stuff mm. roaring everywhere so we are living the spring uh we are we are coming to the summer and and we don't know where it's going to go but it's it's quite exciting so just a couple of words about what happened after year 56 right so the first you know proper wave of ai was those rule based systems mm. expert systems also so these are kind of top down so humans uh, encoded their own wisdom. They really tried to have the systems to mimic human intelligence. They came up, for instance, about uh, medical decisions or, or you know, decision makings in financial accounting, and yeah. and to encode all of that wisdom into the computer system. So that's an expert system, and it's it's called in the field uh, GoFi, 
good mm. old-fashioned AI. Okay, <laughs> that's good. That was the GoFi. Yeah. And then, you know, the pinnacle of GoFi probably is, is IBM's Deep Blue. This is 97. Mm-hmm. We remember this. Most of us will remember IBM Deep Blue uh, beats Gary Kasparov yeah. in Welches. And this was symbolic uh, rule-based AI. You know, it was taught all of the master moves of the chess masters, grandmasters. Mm-hmm. And actually, I, I, I learned that uh, Kasparov wanted to know about, you know, what, what moves it has been taught and, you know, how to play better against the computer. And it was, it was a very fascinating time mm-hmm. in, this, in this first wave of AI. Mm-hmm. But that was the first wave. Now we are in the second paradigm, which also people call machine learning. Mm-hmm. So this is not top down. This is bottom up. This is where uh, neural networks with multiple layers, uh, they learn from data, they adapt their behavior, and they try to accomplish some outcomes. And we don't exactly know how this process works. That's why AI is fascinating people these days. We call it the black box, black box algorithms. Mm. And you know, these these what AI does nowadays, it tries to accomplish something that that we give it a goal, we give it an objective function, mm-hmm. and then it learns by itself via various repetitions to accomplish that. And the fascinating thing is it's no longer necessarily mimicking human intelligence. So mm-hmm. how we thought about AI in the beginning is, is different now. AI mm-hmm. goes on its own way and comes up with something that might, humans might not come up with. Mm-hmm. It still resembles oftentimes what humans do because it's it's taught with human data sometimes, yeah. especially the newest large language models. So it kind of resembles mm-hmm. uh, human you know outcomes and mm-hmm. behavior. But it actually is not hard coded with with you know human intuition necessarily. It has learned yeah. that from the data, so it really depends on the data. Mm. So it strikes me then that you know the kind of the reason why it's so exciting right now is because there is a absolute complete wealth of possibilities and opportunities open to it. So it's really a function of what is the human imagination in terms of what it can ask the AI to do. And then I suppose giving the AI enough space for it to go learn and then come back with what it thinks will be appropriate answers. So I think let's let's use that to segue to to my next question then. So do you think that this new new artificial intelligence, this new AI is something of a hype cycle or is it, is this really generating real value for business? And what is it about the new AI that's actually making this happen? Yeah, it's a good question and I think I think the answer is yes. And answer is no. Mm-hmm. So let me explain. So is it the new hype cycle? For sure, it's a hype cycle. Of course, you know, all new exciting technologies, the more exciting they are, the high, higher the potential, the more the hype. And then sometimes the hype goes overboard, of course. Mm-hmm. But, in you know, in my mind, AI, it's a, it's a general purpose technology. So not just in my mind. It, it is a general purpose technology. As you, as you said, Matt, it can be used for quite many purposes, you know, unlimited number of purposes, actually. So as you said, it's it's up to our imagination how we use AI. So similar to electricity, the internet, you know, we are still coming up with use cases, how to use electricity. Mm. We are coming up with use cases, how to use the internet. We're going to be coming up with use cases, how to use AI prediction mm. and, and stuff like that. We're going to come up with use cases 
for that in the coming hundreds of years. So there are all the reasons to be excited, of course, you know, and, and the hype is warranted to some extent, even if it if it would go overblown from time yeah. to time. But, but you know, there was there was electricity hype also back in the day. And and there was for sure there was an IT bubble. For yeah, us. yeah, the IT bubble comes to mind. So what are you seeing as in terms of how it's being used to create value for businesses? Yeah, so there are a couple of these uh, well-known use cases. Let's let's name a couple of those and then let's move to the newest, newest wave, generative AI. Mm-hmm. So the classic machine learning or, you know, the, not the old rule-based systems, but the second wave, machine learning type of uh, AI, it's used in the background in everything basically that we do in the digital world. So if it's Spotify, Netflix, Amazon, Google search, anything where data moves and is stored, uh, AI is, is predicting what would be valuable as a content, as the next item you would want to purchase, uh, as the search result you would like to see. So machine learning algorithms are working in the background, providing recommendations, making things more fluent and easy uh, in industry, you know, in, in the production line, AI will be uh, identifying um, materials that are defect mm-hmm. or products that have errors. Uh, there will be predictive maintenance, you know, when the industrial machinery is going to break down. So data is flowing and there are sensors collecting data, software sensors and also, also physical sensors. And any physical system, any digital system, AI has been working in the background already for over a decade. And and most of us don't pay attention. We mm-hmm. just see in our you know regular life, we see that things are quite convenient. And and uh, you know the next TikTok video is is pretty cool because you know you have been teaching the AI all, all along. Yeah. So you know that's well, that's the classic of, one. A lot of situations where businesses have any kind of information that they're processing to make recommendations is targets for AI. So for instance, making project recommendations, making positional recommendations. So in other scenarios I've seen it is with content production. So for instance, using um, artificial intelligence to provide intelligent responses to emails to speed up um, administration, to speed up email responses, customer handling bots, for instance, is is an obvious example of that. but also, of course, just being able to find out, well, okay, this is my customer. What else might my customer need and how can I best service my customers? So those have been real obvious flashpoints um, for me. But you mentioned oh, yeah. generative AI. So where, where does that come in in this um, equation? Yeah, yeah, this is the new kid on the plug for sure. So everybody uh, who is talking about AI now in the public press, it's highly likely that they are talking about generative AI. Mm. And generative AI is not completely new. So it's also based on, you know, neural networks and machine learning. But but how AI uh, operates and, and how accessible it is, that, that is changed. So most uh, dominantly large language models and best well-known example is ChatGPT. Yeah. But there are many others uh, also, also in image creation. So we have this creative AI now that we can, we can create um, human-like outputs, we can work with text, we can work with images, sound, uh, in ways that we couldn't before. 
and and the the revolution comes in in multiple fronts so one of them is is actually yeah the accessibility so you don't need to be able to code you don't need to know python necessarily mm-hmm. um it needs you only need to know how to write type or or give a command and and the system can create outputs of what you desire and and many people have of course been uh, experimenting with uh, DALL-E image generator or mm. or uh, ChatGPT, you know, uh, and and that's all very exciting and interesting when you try it the first time, and and now these solutions are moving really to the corporate world and to to actual business cases, and and that's equally exciting. Mm. So maybe I just name a couple of examples. So all content creation, so marketing agencies and and. Uh, visual design studios and and software development firms all of them are really excited because they can more uh, easily generate now visual designs or marketing materials or um, to create uh, software code for instance and it's it's more convenient now i would say because in in the, in the past the price of prediction price of you know handling massive amounts of data price of that went down and, and now price of creating content, price of creativity, access to, uh, you know, this kind of mass produced mm-hmm. creativity has went down. Mm-hmm. So I give two examples, quick examples. One of them is pretty well known. So for instance, uh, Bloomberg GPT, okay. they have they have trained the, the Bloomberg terminals to include natural language interface. Oh, wow. and, and you can you can do as a fin- finance professional, you can you can classify news on the on the firms that you're interested in you can do sentiment analysis you know what what is the vibe of the market how are people discussing about certain types of companies and all that mm. so back in the day with the bloomberg terminal you were watching stock prices and you were doing various type of analysis yourself but now now you have this type of co-pilot who is mm. able to work with all kinds of materials and then produce all kinds of so it's it's more a creative process it's like you got the new team member into your finance analyst team it's kind of exciting yeah i like that point about having um like the idea of like having a co-pilot so for instance one of the most obvious forms of ai it, until it was not obvious until somebody told me <laughs> is um autopilots in, yeah. in aircraft it, it's an ai and um although not a generative one per se but a rule-based one but with with the generative ai i can see that you know a lot of this is coming to having what might have been previously outsourced can now be retained inside the business but have this technology as an underlying you know support system to do support what it's it's doing and therefore its activities and therefore that creates you know a well a whole wealth of not just content aspects but also administrative aspects but customer support aspects as well so um, for instance you know with customer engagement is now very different because a small business will not necessarily be able to have the the staffing needed to provide on-site customer service but with using bots or using platforms that that opens up the realm of possibility doesn't it yeah that is that is actually the very exciting uh, business use case that is that we're gonna see a lot mm. so so we had the chatbots already you know for some some years mm. and and those didn't work that well those were mostly rule-based you know you can call them decision trees also so when when something 
is being asked, you know, the, the uh, AI chatbot is giving you a predefined answer somehow, and then, then you're teaching it more. And then they got a bit more advanced, and now they are very advanced at best. So basically, you can train your chatbot towards your customers, but also towards your stakeholders or, or your professionals working in the company. You can train them. I, I'm giving you one example. So the customer service is, is quite intuitive, but this is maybe less intuitive. So for instance, in Finland, there's this company, Tieto Evry and, and Silo AI. They are together uh, coming up with this AI assistance for healthcare professionals. And this will work in Finnish language. So when the doctor is working or a nurse is, is working to treat a patient, they can ask the information system about you know medical conditions, the history of the patient, because typically the medical systems, you know, you have to click through, you know, the doctors need to spend so much time with the medical system. They yeah. even might spend more time with the system than with the patient, even when the patient is there in the room with them. Mm -hmm. So this would free up a lot of time. So we are always short in medical staff. So mm -hmm. now we could have the system helping them and being responsive, and you could interact with the system with your own language. Mm -hmm. So I can this see that and, and any other use case, you know, there's going to be a lot of these types of things. Excellent. Well, let me move on to um, some of your very recent work. Uh, you recently walked, um, wrote about how ChatGPT can change uh, knowledge work. So uh, what are some of the major take-homes um, from, from that work? Yeah, thanks. Thanks for the question. So uh, we published this paper uh, this summer in General Business Strategy uh, mm. with my colleagues Mika Ruokonen and, and Lavan and Ramal. So, so we interviewed 22 workers from different knowledge industries. And, and uh, what we came up with is, is something very managerial. It's two by two matrix. Uh, if someone wants to check it out, maybe you can put it to Sonos or, or someone might look yep. it up. But yeah, so we came up with the matrix. So one of the axes is that whether ChatGPT is already very capable and useful for the knowledge worker or not too capable. And then we had two types of work, repetitive and routine work and creative and contextual. Mm -hmm. so I'm just going to give you the very brief highlights. So for repetitive and routine work, some of the human work is very vulnerable to automation now that it didn't before. Mm. So this is you know, a lot of stuff with software code, you know, because coders get so much more efficient, you know, there might not be need for so many coders anymore. It's a little um, um, actually contradictory. Maybe they just produce more. And mm. oh, I'm not saying that people's jobs are necessarily replaced, but some of the tasks are going to be automated and people are going to get more efficient. Then visual design, coming up with logos, those kind of stuff. So human is vulnerable in, in many type of repetitive work when it comes to text or, or visual. And then there will be this, this segment of human mastery. We call it mastery because people, you know, if you go to a barbershop or if, if you are visited by a plumber, you know, you, you can't outsource this to AI in, in a very long time. So humans are masters in, in the situational awareness and this fine fine-grained awareness of the physical space and, and social space as well. You wouldn't probably give AI uh, the control of your WhatsApp either, just yet. Yeah. You want to, you you know, you want to master, you know, your uh, fine-tuned, you know, uh, real-time environment still. Mm -hmm. So, so those are two. And then we have creative and contextual work. So we have two two here as well. So we have a thing that we call human ingenuity, 
So this is the emotional intelligence. This is the, you know, the requirement of, of human presence to create a trust. And, you know, if you if you have a first discussion with a lawyer or, uh, you know, with, with the medical professional, mm. uh, you, you uh, or if it's a management situation, you know, you are negotiating on, on continuation of your job and or or whatever. Mm. So, so there are many, many of these things that are are firmly in the in the human realm still. It, they are narrowing a bit, and AI is becoming more and more helpful in those as well. Mm -hmm. So then, this last segment, which is the most exciting, we call the human augmentation. Mm. So that is the place where ChatGPT and other generative AI they are co-pilot or sparring partner. And mm. and you know, us academics, you know, we we do this a lot already. Any knowledge work professional. We, we brainstorm, we summarize, we draft, we ideate, uh, and, and we deliver. So only only our imagination is is, is the you know the boundary here. And, and this I, um, augmentation, it's getting bigger and bigger, you know, all hmm. kinds of tasks. That's that's the what I really part. like about your uh, matrix there is that it helps answer one of the kind of the perpetual questions that the media puts forward, which is that will AI completely change not just the nature of work, but also make a, a large number of people redundant? And the reality of that is no, because there are opportunities for augmentation where human mastery is, is simply superior to the artificial intelligence because the artificial intelligence, as you said, cannot do plumbing. <laughs> it might give you yeah. advice on how to do plumbing, but cannot do the plumbing. Yeah. And then it's there to both, do you, you know help support human ingenuity but also augment human behavior so it, it's really nice to see a more positive view of ai rather than one that lays out as kind of like a doomsday for for the workers so, but it's it's very interesting to see all these opportunities but also actual ways in which businesses have used this to create values i think that for me feels like the the crossing the chasm what what it will take to go from AI being something that's very interesting and very hyperbolic to something that is really deeply used across businesses, that crossing the chasm is going to be just breaking down this, you know, barrier on on the, the technologies that is the technology is not so much a barrier to entry anymore. It's really because you have access to so many platforms and software tools that where AI is built into it and therefore can be used by the business. Yeah, well, very well said. And I, I think you know. This is what will set businesses apart from each other is that because these tools, tools are so accessible, mm. you know, they are integrating even to our web browsers and, and the office suit and, and the Google Docs suit. Mm -hmm. So, you know, people will be different. You know, some people are better in using Excel at the moment mm. and will be better in using Excel in the future. So people will be different in their abilities to use these tools. But so will be businesses, and 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 the, maybe the most advanced businesses will actually use AI as part of their unique products and services, and they can differentiate like that. So yeah. probably AI itself doesn't differentiate that much. It's a general purpose technology, yeah. you know, like internet and electricity, right? But you know how you use it, and and you know how you complement something else that is unique. I think that's that's what will set businesses apart. Also, thank you. So let me move to so final questions. Let's say two minutes. What steps can owners, managers, and entrepreneurs take to create value for, for their businesses using artificial intelligence? Maybe what are the three or four things they should really be doing? 
Yeah, so I, I have like four in mind. It's basically okay. based on our article because we were thinking about this takeaway. So first takeaway is, is skills and capabilities. So individuals, of course, we we should, you know, obviously we should learn and we should use those tools that are available and they are very accessible. So, uh, you know, someone sometimes said that, you know, do we really need that email stuff, you know, or do we need to, do we need an email to our cell phone and stuff like that? So, you know, many people will turn around and, and start using AI, probably even if they don't know it, but it's it's good to be conscious and, and deliberate also and, and train and experiment. Mm -hmm. And of course, companies should provide support for this training. Uh, people are a bit confused sometimes also how to use this in my work and am I allowed to use it? We need clear guidelines and policies and, and training mm, in all kinds good. of organizations. Mm -hmm. And that's one. Then second one is team structures and coordination of workflow. So if really we are going to use professionally these new AI tools, we need to think about how, how the workflows are coordinated and what, what comes into the process. So if you have a customer service process, for instance, what's the role of role of AI there? And sometimes it's pretty standardized, but sometimes the professionals are using it for some part, for instance, if you're in, in a marketing agency. So there will be there will be different use cases for different industries. They will be very different in different industries, actually. Mm -hmm. So think about how the workflows are are built and be mindful of that. Mm -hmm. And then the third one is the culture and mindset. This is probably not not surprising, but uh, you know some companies are very excited and experimental, and some are much more conservative. So I would say for both types of companies, I'm going to repeat myself, but it's it's good to come up with clear protocols rules guidelines mm -hmm. something that you know makes it possible but also makes it safe at the same time so people don't need to feel insecure can i insert this data set mm. into a language model what happens if i do what if there's you know some uh, gdpr sensitive information you know you need to have answers to those questions yeah and there are answers to those questions actually which is a matter for different discussion probably but you know you need an answer for sure mm -hmm. and then finally business model innovation think about whether you can actually innovate mm. the business and and what's the, what's the role of ai in that so is it just something that that you get a little bit little better powerpoint and, and word and and that's all is it so so then that's not really business model innovation that's knowledge work productivity but what if uh you can change the way how you how you uh, monetize your service or how you engage your customers or how you engage with the professionals who work for you can you can you change the workflows several things that we discussed before you know think about concretely whether or not it's a productivity tool nice to have or can you really business model innovate that would be right. my fault take my cool well thank you so much Pavel I'm conscious uh, of your time thank you so much for uh, contributing those insights. I'm hoping that everybody listening to this will now have a much better understanding of how they can use artificial intelligence in their businesses and especially to create value because I think that's been the worry really breaking down those barriers and I thought that uh, many of the insights you gave there will be very helpful no doubt. So thank you very much Pablo. I really appreciate it. Thank you Matt. It was great to be here.